In the mid-1960s, prophecy became a very hot topic, both in the church and in the American culture. During that decade, there were several books published on the topic of the coming again of Christ. In the fall of 65, I was a sophomore at Seattle Pacific College and was leading the class as its president. Our class began a Campus Crusade chapter the year before, and now we had scored a coup. Hal Lindsey was, at the time, a prominent leader in Campus Crusade for Christ. We brought him to Seattle Pacific and also connected him with the University of Washington for a week of meetings on the topic entitled, Seven Pieces to a Prophetic Puzzle. That was his first draft of what later became The Late Great Planet Earth, one of the first Christian books to be sold at supermarkets all across the country. I was Hal's driver for the week of meetings every day at both campuses, so he and I became very close and acquainted during these series of meetings. In fact, it was because of him that I ended up at Crusade that winter as we began the the program called Athletes in Action, the uh, athletic program of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. His talks were riveting. His interpretation of scripture passages were believable. His delivery was inspiring. My dorm room was buzzing every night with excitement and late-night conversations with what Hal had been teaching us and as we wrestled with the scriptures of the coming of Christ. On Friday morning, around 3 a.m., and in college that's a normal time for movement, most of us, however, were asleep because of the busyness of the week we had had. And my whole dorm was awakened by the loud sound of an air raid siren. With all that we'd been hearing, our first response was that this was the end. The time had come, Armageddon's getting started, and Jesus is on the doorstep. I got on the phone in my room. There were no cell phones then. Or I think Mr. Smart on the Get Smart program on TV had a shoe phone, but none of us were able to purchase that. I got on the phone in my room to call my parents to make sure they were awake and confirming with them the meeting place we had set up years before if something like this happened so we could find each other getting out of town. My father began to try and settle me down, told me there were no air raid sirens going off on the west side of Seattle. Then the word began to spread. One of our dorm mates had played the siren as a sound effect on his stereo. We were shaken. We were upset. Needless to say, our dorm mate nearly experienced a personal rapture that night. (laughs) In spite of knowing the truth of the hoax, our anxiety was aroused, and it was intensified by Hal's sessions on Friday, adding even more urgency and, I must say, for many folks, anxiety to our understanding of the return of Christ. Several, maybe more than several, expected it to happen at any moment. Do you remember those days? It was all across the world, and in America, among evangelicals in particular. These are not experiences and emotions uncommon to teachings on the second coming of Christ. They happened prior to 1965, 
and certainly they have continued to today. But for now, just for now, I ask you to come with me to Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago, and let us clearly listen to what Jesus is saying, to Jesus himself, the Son of God, our Savior and our Lord. Jesus and his disciples have left the temple. As they walk away, the disciples ask Jesus this question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Matthew 24, verse 3. This summer preaching series is Jesus' response to that question in Matthew 24 and 25. Listen to Matthew 24, 4 through 8, the text for this morning. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. End of reading. Jesus responds with three clear points that appear to be most important to him for them and for us. Number one, don't be deceived. Number two, don't be alarmed. Number three, this is like a birth. These are the early pains. Pray with me as we plumb into this text. Help us, Lord, to listen and learn from Jesus' response to his first disciples. Open our eyes to see. Open our minds to understand. Open our hearts to believe. And open our lives to apply these truths. Help us remember that we are Jesus' disciples, Jesus' followers today. In his name I pray. Amen. Watch out that no one deceives you. Deception is a part of our fallen and broken world. We are so used to it. Jesus clearly wants us to know that his concern is not what or when about the end times. It's about us being deceived. Consider just some of the words that we use to describe the various forms of deception. Look at the list. And this is just scratching the surface. From smooth talking to gouging, from fraud to swindling, from double talking to bluffing. There are deception forms rampant across our world. I remember using deception words like these with my parents when they asked me if I had done what they thought I had done. I'm so glad I wasn't Pinocchio. My nose would be so long from those years. Who of us has not been victimized by some form of deceit? Who of us among us has not at some point been deceitful? Jesus' concern is not that we know the elaborate plan and timetables of the end times. Jesus' concern is that we might be deceived. Jesus wants us to not be deceived. 
Jesus wants us to not wander away from him, which is what deception is meant to do. In essence, Jesus is saying to his disciples then and his disciples here at Bethany this morning, give your attention to following me. Give that your focus. Following Jesus is what will keep us from being seduced away from him. Time could be spent noting all the people who claim to be the Messiah but are not. The question to consider is, what draws you and me and keeps you and me away from Jesus Christ in an intimate way? Let me add some dimension to that. What pulls you and me and keeps you and me away from praying regularly, daily? What pulls you and me and keeps you and me away from the study of Scripture, personally and in a group? What pulls you and me and keeps you and me away from church, especially when we're on vacation? That's a wonderful time to go to church and get a second opinion. To see how other people worship. To listen to another way for the word of God to be presented. Not necessarily to relocate, but just to experience the fullness of God in so many other wonderful forms. And what pulls you and me and keeps you and me away from a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and with his bride, the church, the people who also declare that they believe? What keeps us and pulls us away from those things? Whatever does the pulling away and keeping away for you and me is the deceiver. You may personalize it. You can do anything you want with it, but focus on what is pulling and keeping you away from those things that help us to grow as followers of Jesus. Jesus says to us, in thinking about the end times, don't be deceived. He continues, see to it that you're not alarmed. Oh boy. The New Living Translation interprets it with the words, don't panic. Jesus' second concern is that his disciples not become overwhelmed by the trouble that will come. The reality is that our world is not capable of peace outside of a life and all the lives fully surrendered to God. Even Christians have a hard time with peace because they're wrestling with their old spirit and the new spirit of Christ within them. There's a battle that goes on. It's like the man who says, my life is like a place where two dogs live. One is an angry dog. One is a passive dog. One is a loving dog. One is a hateful dog. And the question is, which dog is going to win in my life? Here's the one that wins, the one you feed. What are we feeding our life. Until Jesus Christ comes, the Lord of all, there will always be trouble of war and its consequence of famine and sickness. Once again, Jesus is not interested in satisfying our curiosity about a timetable of events as he is concerned that we not allow events and trouble to distract us from doing his will on earth until we die or until he returns. 
That's the focus Jesus has. That's his initial response to his disciples' question. For some, the frightening nature of war has captured them with great fear. And there's plenty of war to make people fearful. Equally frightening is that the reality of war has become the topic of games played daily by millions of people, including our children. War has become a commonplace and accepted form of entertainment, which also draws us away from our Lord and his call in our life in this world. We fill ourselves in the gaming industry, television programs, with war at so many levels that numb our mind and our heart to the offense of it all. The rumors of war Jesus refers to can also be seen in the world today as the work of terrorists, those who seek to strike fear in the lives of many because now people wearing bulky overcoats or looking like an Arab or Middle Easterner is a suspect. Boxes and packages left unattended are suspected bombs. You see something like a box sitting by itself, say something. You see the ads all the time. Shoes, even underwear, are now considered possible instruments of terror. It's commonplace, isn't it? We don't like to hear it, but we listen to it day after day. Additionally, scores of TV shows and movies are stories of terrorists and how to find and defeat them, always with sophisticated and deadly force of our own. And the battle is now between the good guys with power and the bad guys with power, the good gals with power, the bad gals with power. Jesus knows this world we live in, and his word to us is, don't be alarmed, don't panic. In essence, he is saying, don't let the trouble of this world seduce you in any way away from me as your Lord. There's a Bible example of how this distraction works. Perhaps the clearest one is the story of Peter in Matthew 14. Stepping out of the boat and beginning to walk on the top of the water of the Sea of Galilee, we read, Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Peter was distracted by trouble, by the size of the waves. We are no different, aren't we? How easily distracted are we? Some of us panic quickly. Some of us are drama queens. Some of us are drama kings. No one's left out of the drama. Even about little things in life, it's amazing how easily distracted we become. The story of Peter on the water also reminds us of this, though. When we fail, when we become alarmed, when we panic, when we begin to sink, there is still something we can do. Remember what Peter did. He cried out, Lord, save me. We too can cry out to our Lord to save us, and he will. We can count on it. 
And maybe we need to learn to cry out sooner. When we see what a potential distraction might be in our life, to cry out then. Don't wait until we sink. Don't wait till we're going under. Don't wait thinking, I can take care of this. We can't. It's too big for us. We need him day by day. There's one more thing Jesus says. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Matthew 24, 7 and 8. This is just the beginning of birth. The reality is that at least since the fall in Genesis 3, there's an increase of pain prior to birth. If the typology is true, then the coming of Jesus Christ will be a new birth, a spiritual birth. There will be the pain in the birthing process. The disasters going on in the world are just the birth pains before the birthing takes place for the whole world. I need help about birth pains. I have given no birth. You're shocked, I know, to hear that. I've watched it happen. I was a supposed to be a coach and a photographer in the birthing rooms when my wife gave birth to our sons. So I have a question. You who've given birth, I, I'm looking for you guys. Don't even think about answering this. Does the frequency of birth pains increase or decrease as the birth gets near? It increases? Am I right? Are you, I mean, you're right. Am I quoting you properly? Okay, they increase. Second question. Does the intensity of the birth pains increase or decrease as the birth gets near? It still increase? So we have an increase and an increase? Okay, let me give you an example of what's happening in our world. Because I am convinced that things are increasing in frequency and they are increasing in intensity. Does that mean Jesus is coming this week? No, it does not. They have been increasing in frequency and intensity for a long time. And I'm just giving you a short window to see what's going on in our lifetime in some things. First, some background about earthquakes worldwide. The Richter scale was developed in 1935 by seismologists Francis, Charles Francis Richter and Bino Gutenberg of the California, California Institute of Technology. The Richter scale, you may not know this, was abandoned in 1970 for the moment magnitude scale or the MMS. It's a different formula but reports similar numbers to the Richter scale, but also the amount of energy released by an earthquake. The MMS is the scale used by the U.S. Geological Survey. One further note to understand the differential between the numbers that are given. If an earthquake is registered as a 6.0 and another earthquake is registered as a 7.0, the 7.0 is 10 times the size of the 6.0. In other words, it's an exponential growth. If you go to an 8.0, the 8.0 is 10 times 10 times or 100 times larger than the 6.0. These numbers may seem close together, but the damage they cause, the amount of energy that's expended is enormous when you think about it. I have raw data from the U.S. Geological Survey. First, let's look briefly 
at worldwide earthquakes 6.0 to 6.99 by decades. You can see on the chart before you that there's a significant uptick from about 1,000 to close to 1,500 earthquakes 6.0 to 6.9 by decades. The latest data that's given out is through 19, excuse me, 2015. So it's only half the time. So there's a, an, a, a thought of number that will be coming. The line that's on the chart to the right is where it was at the beginning of 2015. The reality is there's been a continued uptick in the number of earthquakes. Most of them we don't even hear about anymore because 6.0 is kind of blasé. We had one last week in California, but then they had a 7 plus. So let's look at the next chart. These are worldwide earthquakes from 7.0 to 7.9 MMS by the decades. And you can see there's a significant uptick in the number of earthquakes quakes of that magnitude. One more time, earthquakes 8.0 or greater by decades. These are significantly damage-causing earthquakes around the world. And while the numbers aren't huge in terms of how many have taken place, you see it's gone from 4 and 5 all the way up to 13 and 14, and that's as of five years ago. There's an increase, an increase in intensity, an increase in frequency. Second thing to look at. Tornadoes in the United States. Raw data taken from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, also called NOAA. United States tornadoes by decades. This is stunning. From around 700 to around 5,000 from the 70s to the 2010s. And that number for the 2010s is going to rise up because we have seen the outbreak of tornadoes like never before in the last three years. Wars in the world since 1990. There have been 90 named wars in the world that began, began since 2003. Many of them are continuing today. The point can be made. Birth pangs are coming with greater intensity and greater frequency. The process of birth is proceeding. We should not be surprised. We have said the words our whole life. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Don't be deceived by those who say, oh, he's not coming. Don't be panicked by the increase of these birth pains. But recognize he's coming. We have a job to do in being his people and doing his will and helping others find Christ before he returns. That's our job. Not to be distracted by all this stuff, but to be focused on bringing Jesus to our world. So, we consider the questions the disciples asked. What on the earth will be happening when you come? And Jesus says, there will be deception. People will be deceiving you about me. He says, don't be deceived. Stay on me. 
Don't move your focus away. Second, he says, people will be alarmed about all the troubles of war, famine, earthquakes, disasters. And Jesus says, don't panic. I got you covered. I want you to cover the world for me. Don't panic. And Jesus reminds the disciples that this is just the beginning. Jesus says, this is like birth pains. So what's coming? A birth is coming. A birth is coming. That's the point of all this. A new heaven, a new earth. The old will pass away. God is making all things new. We have much to be excited about. We have much excitement to share with our world. God's given us a way for all of this to bring to completion God's desire that every human being, no person on earth, will be without salvation in Christ. That's the excitement. And he's already begun that with people. In Christ, he makes us new. Born again. Born from above. He's getting us ready for the coming birth. We will not be deceived because we know Christ. He makes us new. We will not panic because we know Christ. He is our Savior. Now, here's the concern that I have. If you are not connected with a body of other believers of people, I don't mean on a Sunday morning when you gather for worship, but I mean on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday, you have relationships with people that are followers of Christ. We need each other. Some of us panic more easily than others. Others of us bring hope and help in the midst of panic. We need to be connected up with one another so these things will do well. I have to tell you about the best dining around group at Bethany Covenant Church. I happen to be a member of that group, and it's not best because I'm there. But we have such an incredible time talking about virtually anything and everything and opening up. And this last Friday, we were down on the shore together, and we were talking about life and being open and vulnerable and caring and praying and sharing stories about our life with Christ, sharing stories about the stupid things we've done sharing stories about if you could only have one more meal for the rest of your life, what would the meal be? That was ridiculous. But it was. we learned a lot about people, and we decided we have to eat together so we could have some variety. (laughs) But we need to be connected to each other so that we can help each other in these days of trouble, in these days of distraction, in these days of deception, so that we can celebrate the coming birth when all things are made new. Hallelujah! All things made new. Hallelujah. The fullness of time. Jesus is here. The end, actually, the beginning, the ultimate beginning is beginning. That is what Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples. Not a timetable. Not so much what's going to be happening. But he's coming. Be aware. Be awake. Don't panic. Don't be deceived. Be together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your son Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Thank you that he came to forgive and remove our sin. Thank you that he gives attention to what really matters. That we love him, that we trust him, that we follow him. Keep us, Father, from being deceived or from panic because of the troubles in our world. 
And keep us on target with you and not so focused on trying to second-guess your plans for the end of the age. Keep us focused on your Son, Jesus. He is our hope, our living hope. In his name we pray. Amen.